Last night was night 76 of the ongoing riots in Portland, Oregon. And I want you to really think about that number. 76 nights of rioting. How is it possible? You'd think by simple attrition, eventually there would be no rioters left. I mean, the cops go out, there's a riot, they arrest people. And then sure enough, the people stop rioting once they go to jail, right? And therein lies the big problem. Riots have been sweeping across this country since they started at the end of May. They peaked in June and they've still been going on, notably in Portland. Did you know that there was a riot in Richmond, Virginia recently? Mainstream news isn't really covering the fact that there are riots across the country. Now, Chicago recently saw mass rioting and looting, and it was pretty serious. And we can see exactly what the problem is right here with Chicago. The recurring theme for all of these riots, particularly with Portland, is the inability or the lack of will to actually prosecute any of these people. We've seen it in New York. They released a ton of protesters and said, we're not going to we're not going to uh, we're going to dismiss the charges against them because it was a protest in Fort Worth. People who are charged with rioting actually had their charges dismissed. And now the fraternity of police in Chicago is calling for a federal investigation against Kim Fox because she is she is now instituting what's called a presumption of dismissal or something to that effect. Basically, if people are arrested in a protest, they're going to cut them loose. We saw this recently announced in Portland. This stuff is insanity. In Portland, they literally said you could assault an officer and they will still consider dismissing the charges because of the heat of the protest moment. When did peaceable assembly, when when did we start tolerating an escalation of violence in the heat of the moment? Never. If a cop is going to make an arrest and people attack the cop, they attack the cop. The First Amendment says peaceably assemble, not you know, dance the line between violence in in the heat of the moment. So if someone commits a crime, they need to be arrested, right? Well, the police are arresting them. In Chicago, there's concern there's that because of another event that's set to take place this weekend, and because Kim Fox will not prosecute these people, this will encourage more looting, more rioting. And I think it's fair to say. You may be familiar with Kim Fox from a few stories. She was the prosecutor who let Jussie Smollett go, which created a huge controversy. Why? It seemed to be that there was at least enough evidence to go to a trial, but she let the guy walk on felony charges. There's also an ongoing investigation from the Chicago Tribune, a a journalistic investigation about how she is dismissing more felony charges, substantially more than her predecessor. It's because many of these left-leaning DAs are not tough on crime. They are particularly soft on crime. Now, let let me tell you something. I myself am a freedom over security individual. I believe freedom is more important. And I believe it's fair to say it is better that 100 guilty persons escape than one innocent person suffer. And that was Benjamin Franklin. And he was taking Blackstone's formulation to the next level, which said only 10 people, right? The idea was the state cannot suppress innocent individuals. You really, really got to prove it. But I don't believe what we're seeing across this country is a fair assessment on, you know, upholding freedom over security. Absolutely not. If the police have video of someone attacking an officer and rioting, surely that's enough. If people are live streaming themselves looting, surely that's enough. Well, Kim Fox says she doesn't think that the way she's handling things will encourage looting. I really think it will. I've talked to locals, I have family in the area, and they believe that the looters and rioters no longer fear the police. So now what's happening? Well, in New York, they released a man accused of trying to cut the brake lines of an NYPD van. 
And the only reason this man is now in jail is because the feds swooped in. It seems that only Trump, the DHS and the federal government are, are willing to actually arrest these people and stop them from engaging in this violence, which is why it seems now the fraternity of police is asking for a federal intervention. Isn't that rather amazing? Whatever that means, an intervention. We'll see how that plays out. So here's what I want to show you. What we're seeing with these district attorneys is happening in other places. And we'll, we'll get to the news. And I'll start here with NBC5 Chicago. Before we get started, head over to timcast.com slash donate if you'd like to support my work. But the best thing you can do is actually subscribe to this channel. About half the people who watch aren't even subscribed. All you got to do is right below this video is a little red button says subscribe. Give it a tap. Boom. Now you're going to see more of my videos in your feed more frequently. If you really want to help out, you can hit the like button, the notification bell, and share the video so more people can hear about it. Let's read the news from NBC5. FOP president pens letter to U.S. attorney blasting Kim Fox asks for federal intervention. They say the head of Chicago's Fraternal Order of Police penned a letter to U.S. attorney John Losh Wednesday calling on federal officials to intervene if Cook County State's attorney Kim Fox declines to move forward with prosecutions for individuals accused of looting or other criminal activity during the recent unrest in the city. The letter, written by FOP Lodge President John Catanzara, will be delivered to Losh's office Thursday, the FOP says. The letter criticizes Fox's decision to institute a presumption of dismissal for charges related to looting and alleged that she was subscribing to an arbitrary theory that the offenders were protesters and somehow had the right to commit crimes due to the unfortunate death of George Floyd in Minnesota. Quote, our members did not arrest peaceful protesters. Our members arrested violent looters and criminals who took advantage of a situation, the letter read. It's time for the state's attorney of Cook County to do her job. If she refuses the United States attorney's office to step in, they say is an error there. Your office has the power and expertise to prosecute these cases, and we beseech you to step in and stand for law and order as Chicago police officers do each and every day. The comments harken back to a policy that Fox said was put in place in late June, which would encourage prosecutors to use a presumption of dismissal for reviewing misdemeanors related to disorderly conduct, public demonstration, and unlawful gathering charges, according to the Sun-Times. Even in cases with more serious charges, prosecutors were encouraged to decline prosecution unless body-worn police camera or dash camera footage was available. Fox disputed the idea that her office's decisions on prosecutions encouraged looters to once again strike over the weekend. Her office has been under scrutiny from various outlets after a Chicago Tribune analysis found that felony cases involving charges of murder and other offenses at a higher rate. Uh, at a higher rate than her predecessor found that, uh, uh, are they saying, yes, she, her office has been under scrutiny from various outlets after an analysis found that felony cases involving charges of murder and other offenses were dismissed at a higher rate. I think they're missing some words there. Katanzar was not done criticizing Fox's office, blasting reported plans of a Saturday protest that could take place on Chicago's Dan Ryan Expressway as an act of terrorism. We have also learned that there is a major protest scheduled for this weekend on the Dan Ryan Expressway, which will lead to more civil unrest and violence. The expressways should provide federal jurisdiction as it will impede interstate commerce. And to be quite frank, to block an interstate highway is an act of terrorism. Katanzara's letter was also sent to President Donald Trump and Attorney General William Barr. 
A protest is scheduled for noon Saturday with multiple organizations set to participate. According to a Facebook post, marchers intend to enter the Dan Ryan Expressway near 47th Street and will march along the roadway. It is unclear at this time how many protesters will participate in any demonstration, but more than 2,000 individuals have indicated they are interested in participating. Well, I'm not necessarily convinced that it's going to be a full 2,000, but I do think it's fair to say that amid the chaos, looters and rioters will take advantage. I'm not sure I agree that blocking an interstate highway is terrorism. And I think the CPD have been very gung-ho. I mean, I grew up in Chicago and I got my criticisms of the CPD, man. But at this point, I'll tell you what, I, when people have it right, I will tell them they do. And right now, as much as I can agree with certain charges being dismissed and the general idea of criminal justice reform, if you keep releasing people who break the law and you know they break the law, they'll keep breaking the law and the riots will not stop. We're now hearing that people are set to flee Chicago over this. They're fleeing in Los Angeles, in New York. It's like it's all on purpose. These people have lost their minds. I can't tell you what they're thinking, but I can show you this. Take a look at this story from the Tribune. Kim Fox drops more felony cases as Cook County state's attorney than her predecessor Tribune analysis shows. When you have heightened unrest and a dramatic escalation and you are releasing people in higher numbers, I'm sorry. I'm not going to give you the benefit of the doubt. Uh, I I really don't think so, especially when the police are saying we arrested looters and they're being let go. But you know what? I'll tell you why there's another reason why I won't take Kim Fox's word for it. In this interview with WBEZ, which is a Chicago NPR news source, they say winning has come through revolts, a Black Lives Matter activist on why she supports looting. I covered this a couple days ago. They absolutely feel it is their right to loot. What is your take on the police shooting in Englewood and the subsequent looting downtown? She says, a lot of people are attacking our pages. They're like, oh, you support the looters. And yeah, we do 100%. That's reparations. And like, however people choose to protest, especially especially if it was definitively, definitely in line with what happened with the shooting, which would be powerful, powerful to see people reacting without organizers just being like, we're angry and this is what we're going to do. We're going to take back the power. I feel like these stores, these Macy's, these Gucci's, these PNC banks, they're not here for us. The city puts way more money and investment into spending time and protecting these spaces and making sure they exist. And yet our people are constantly being pushed out of the city. Unemployment is incredibly high, like we are in an incredible situation. And the fact that anybody gives an S about these businesses over what's happening in the city right now and the pain that people are are in and the suffering that is taking place, I don't care. I will support the looters till the end of the day. If that's what they need to do in order to eat, then that's what you've got to do to eat. Asked, when she was asked, what do you say to people who argue looting undermines Black Lives Matter's message? I think those people are forgetting that the way that history has ever worked, the way that history has worked, the way that we've, we've ever gotten wins has, has never been through peaceful protest alone. And I will say this with quotes, peaceful protests. Winning has come through revolts. Winning has come through riots. Winning has come through constant, constant work. The only people that can undermine our movement are the police, our oppressors, and then us when we don't believe in the people we're fighting with. If we are constantly trying to tell each other exactly the right way to do it, as opposed to finding ways to support each other and get that collective win, that is undermining. I don't undermine my movement. She goes on to talk about how it's not really looting because the businesses have looted them. Let me tell you something. A guy showed up to a Gucci with a gun and shot into the window several times trying to break in. 
That Gucci is not in your neighborhood. That Gucci is doing nothing to you. And I'll tell you why they protect these businesses. Because those stores, first of all, bring in revenue, which helps support even schools in your area. But more importantly, the stores don't break the law. The stores are literally just sitting there. I mean, some stores might break the law for sure, but like these stores are literally just sitting there. So when people get violent, cops intervene. I grew up on the south side of Chicago. Cops come down and intervene there too, the same as they would anywhere else. It is a lie that cops aren't there to keep the peace. The problem is you have a lot of nefarious actors and a lot of conflict. The, the looting and rioting in Chicago is due to a guy who fired a weapon at cops and is facing attempted murder charges. He got shot. He got injured. He's still alive. He's facing charges. And for that, they riot and try to break into stores and literally break into stores and then claim it's their right to do so. All of this is backfiring to an absurd degree. Chicago looting leaves residents feeling unsafe, ready to leave city. Property management company tells mayor. He's right. He's absolutely right. And I have to wonder if it's intentional. And I really do mean it. Like we saw in New York City, Bill de Blasio said he's going to buy up these empty buildings. There was a story in the Daily Mail about moving day in New York. People, these moving companies were overwhelmed trying to move people out of their apartments. Why? Well, it's it's the middle of the month, I assume, or even at the beginning of the month, people are now saying, I'm not going to live here. I'm taking off. Moving companies are sending people out. I've talked to friends in Los Angeles who tell me they see it's worse than it's ever been with the homeless camps everywhere and garbage in the streets. It is falling apart. And I know people who are fleeing. Several people recently announced. You may have heard Blair White personality on YouTube announced she'd be leaving Los Angeles. Joe Rogan is going to Texas, building a new studio. These big cities are falling apart. And you know what the common thread is that I hear from people, even liberals? The Democrats have failed these cities. I know. I know a lot of people are right, are right away going to be like, it's, it's biased to, to point at the Democrats. It really is, man. Look, they tell you Antifa is a myth. Jerry Nadler said that. They lie to our faces and say there's no riots. There are riots. We've watched them. We suffered because of them. Our businesses are gone because of them. And they tell you it doesn't exist. You've got to make them own up to it. Let me, let me show you this. Englewood residents push back on Black Lives Matter protesters from outside neighborhood following officer-involved shooting, August 12th. That's right. Black Lives Matter protesters came into the neighborhood. They showed up and said, get out. According to Gallup, 81% of black Americans want the police to spend the same amount of time in their communities or even more. So it's 61% that feel it's, it's, it's a good amount. 20% say bring on more. Yet we keep hearing this narrative about defunding the police. No, regular Americans don't like the riots. Regular Americans don't like any of this. Take a look at this story. Chicago PD launches looting video site to ID offenders. This is what the police are doing. Police have launched a new looting and civil unrest videos website with surveillance footage from Sunday's mayhem. They're asking for help. The department on Wednesday launched a website with surveillance footage, and the cops are asking the community to snitch on the offenders. This was an attack on our city. Chicago Chief of Detectives Brendan Dinahan said at a briefing Wednesday, we really need everyone's help to identify these offenders so we can arrest and charge them. Camera footage is only available when our officers and detectives can identify the individuals caught on camera committing the crime. We need everyone's help to do this. I'm not a big fan of snitching on your neighbors. I don't like that idea. If, if the police have evidence and they catch somebody, I think, you know, so be it. I think within reason, if you have evidence of someone committing a crime, by all means, we need to bring these offenders to justice. So I'm not 100% opposed to this, but I am, I got to admit, very cautious when I see surveillance state stuff like 
We got a bunch of videos. Everybody rat these people out. Yeah, we, we got to be really, really careful here. But there's a bigger problem. Whether my opinion matters or not, this doesn't matter. You know why? I hate to say it, TPD. I appreciate that you are trying to enforce the law. You can do whatever you want, but the DA will not prosecute. And there you go. I mean, maybe she'll prosecute some people because she'll have to. But so what? You get a tip, you arrest them, and then she cuts them loose. That's the way it's going to be. I'm, I'm, I just, I'm, I'm sorry. Until we get federal intervention, perhaps. Now, this is what we're hearing over on the political side of things. Make Joe Biden and Kamala Harris own the Black Lives Matter chaos from the Washington Examiner. And I agree. I absolutely agree. There was a story. Maybe you've seen it. If you go to Antifa.com, it would redirect you to Joe Biden's website. Kamala Harris and Joe Biden have expressed support for Black Lives Matter. Joe Biden has expressed support for the general idea around what defunding the police is. He didn't say those exact words. I want them to denounce it. At the briefing, uh, a reporter, I believe Chanel Rion is her name, asked the president, I believe she, she asked about Antifa.com redirecting to Joe Biden's website and asked if Joe Biden and Kamala Harris should denounce, you know, these groups. And these articles that pop up say, why should they have to? I think they should. I do. Because a lot of these, these people who are out, this, this Antifa that people talks about, they're actually out for Black Lives Matter. If these people in Chicago for Black Lives Matter will straight up say, looting is our right. Now the DA says, we're going to have a presumption of dismissal. The DA in Chicago released like 800 people that were arrested in, in protest events. The cops are saying, we did not arrest peaceful protesters. That, that was a while ago, mind you. The cops now are saying in this in this recent looting incident, these weren't peaceful protesters. They're criminals. Prosecute. And they need federal intervention because it's not getting done. I'm sorry. It's the Democrats doing it. And like I said, man, I, you know, Bill de Blasio is going to buy up these cities and makes it sound intentional. It really does. I got more stories for you that we absolutely have to go through in, in all of this. Check this out. Downtown Louisville business sues city over eighty five thousand dollars in riot damages. JJ's wig shop claims a stand down order from the mayor's office stopped police from protecting their business during early protests. The mayor of Louisville is a Democrat. They say a downtown business has filed a lawsuit against the city, saying it suffered thousands in damages during early protests over the Brown Taylor case. The owner of JJ wig shop located on South 4th Street claimed the lawsuit that a stand down order from Mayor Greg Fisher stopped Louisville police officers from protecting her business. It took a lot of time and money to get where it was, and it was destroyed in a matter of days. And, and so, so why, would they, why, would, why would there be a stand-down order? Why would, why, would, why would they tell them to do this? To me, it's, 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 it's shocking. It's, it's, at this point, predictable. And I don't know what else you can add other than it feels like it's intentional. Or at the very least, it is Democrat-run cities that are doing this. Have we had any problems in San Diego? That's run by Republicans. Check out this story. Four charged an overnight Richmond riot that left several buildings damaged. Courthouse closed again Thursday. I didn't even know that there were riots in Richmond in the past few days. And I'm somebody who reads the news incessantly. It's my job. I read the news nonstop. And I didn't, I didn't, I just, I'm finding about, finding out about this right now. I also, I also am shocked to find that there were last week widespread blue lives matter and walk away protests around this country. Not too big, but, but enough of them and moderately large, you know, big enough. Where was the mainstream national coverage about this? Nowhere. Not take responsibility for that. I should have absolutely been on top of the game when I, when I was point, you know, covering these riots. 
Well, I'm here now. I'm doing my best, right? This story just just came out. It was uh, last night at 842 that four people have been charged because there was a riot. At least they're calling it a riot. I appreciate that, you know, NBC 12. It's happening all over the country. I'm pretty sure you will find that there are riots and, and, and unlawful assembly, whatever, you know, lesser riots to lesser degrees, I would say, everywhere. In a, in a piece from Michael Tracy, journalist, he, tro- he drove around the country and he found that there were cities no one ever talked about that experienced very serious rioting. I don't understand why. Why they won't let the police do their job, why they're standing down, why they're pulling back, and why they won't prosecute these individuals. So I'll tell you this. They're calling for federal intervention in Chicago. Well, there you go. I, I, I don't blame them. What do you think would happen if Joe Biden was president? Do you think Joe Biden would agree and say, OK, we'll send in the feds? I don't. I really don't. I think Donald Trump is waiting for it. I think Donald Trump says, you give me the word and I will deploy DHS to help you on your streets. It's happening everywhere. Take a look at this. We have from Oregon Live, Multnomah uh, County DA's office won't prosecute many arrested in Portland protests. I know you've probably seen me highlight this many times, but it, I, I need to put in the context for this for this segment. Look at this. Prosecutors will scrutinize the cases of protesters accused of resisting arrest or assaulting a public safety officer and consider the chaos of a protesting environment. Protesting environments aren't chaotic. Riots are. This is why they keep saying protest, protest, protest instead of riot. They are trying to change our understanding of the language. Protests, when you go out, you raise your fist, you wave a sign and you say rabble, rabble, rabble. Riot, you smash and burn things and attack people. There's not supposed to be a chaotic environment in a protest. It's supposed to be an orderly assembly for the most part. Now, people can engage in civil disobedience and maybe there's some chaos. I respect that's fine. But we're not talking about someone sitting down and linking arms in a street and, and getting walked away. We're talking about people running through the streets, smashing things for 76 nights. And, and now we're seeing last night was basically worse than we've seen in a long time. They returned to the federal courthouse, even though there's no feds out. And it took the state police, the, it, it took sheriff's county, uh, the, the, the Multnomah uh, sheriff police, and it took local police to deal with these rioters who are going to get arrested and they're going to get cut loose instantly because they're straight up saying you could assault an officer and they probably won't charge you. Well, neighbors are unhappy as demonstrations move east into residential Portland. That's right. They're coming to people's homes. It was only a matter of time. And I'm tired of saying it, you know, because I think it's obvious to most of you that it will continue so long as something is done about it. But the Democratic, uh, you know, DAs or whatever, these cities, they're just letting these people go. They're, they're literally just letting these people go. It's only going to escalate and it's going to get bad. New York City, teen in critical condition after being set on fire. Wow, man. That to me is, is it's, we, we, we've seen an escalation in lethal crime, robberies. These cities really are collapsing. I don't blame Trump for any of this. It's the it's the governors. It's 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 covid. I don't blame I don't blame the governor, you know, of New York or the mayors or Trump for the existence of covid. And when it comes to the economy, it's the governors that did this. They're the ones arresting gym owners. They're the ones that are revoking the license of businesses and, and, and threatening people who, who try to run their business. And the cities are completely falling apart. They're marching with the extremists. 
They're raising their fist with, with them, celebrating them, painting their slogans in the street in defiance of the law. These people have executive, these people have executed their own, you know, personal desires over the rest of the people with no democratic process. This is authoritarianism. These, these, these governors, these mayors are despotic. It is, it has become, uh, it really is dystopian. And every day it gets worse, where now they're saying chaotic protest environments. You've got to pay attention to how they change the language. That's why I always say riot. That's why whenever they say protest, I say no, riot, because they want you to think about the right to protest and have an image in your head of people smashing and burning things. And then say, well, it is their right, huh? That's what they're saying in Portland. That's what they're saying in Chicago. So people are fleeing these cities. It's a shame. I want to show you something, something positive to end this, end this video, uh, to, to, to end this video on. An officer saved a man in a wheelchair stuck on, a tra- on train tracks. Her body cam video shows the rescue. We've, 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 we, have, uh, we, of course, have reasons to criticize police, for sure. I do. I'm not a big fan of the CPD, but I'll, I'll, I, will, I will defend what is right, you know, at, 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 I'll defend what's right. You don't, we don't see this enough. Stories like this. A man was stuck on train tracks. An officer rushed in and pulled him out, saving his life. We used to get stories like this, but it's a po- it, you, the problem is cops saving people is considered routine. They say that, you know, if, a, if a, uh, the cop does their job, well, they don't deserve congratulations because it's literally their job. No, I think if you're being inundated with negative information, with, with smears and hit pieces and, and actual, you know, literal police brutality, your opinion skews negative and it may not be representative of the entire police, you know, of, of all police, right? So we have stories like this. And I think we need these every so often to counteract this negative view of what cops uh, are and what they do. Cops also save people's lives. You see the video of the cop rushing in and saving the baby's life and rushing it to the hospital? Now we have another one. It's important to remember that things are nuanced. But when you get someone telling you that it's all one way or the other, you've, you've, you've got to uh, take it all with a grain of salt, even from me, especially from me. If you think I'm pushing too hard in one direction, then you, by all means, you Google it, you fact check it, you call me out. I hope everyone would do the same for everyone else, but I think people are very tribalistic. I'll leave it there. We'll see if a federal intervention actually happens. Next segment's coming up at 6 p.m. over at youtube.com slash timcastnews. Thanks for hanging out. Now we'll see you then. Yes, of course, I woke up to hear the news about riots in Portland. We're on now night 76. And lo and behold, they return to the Justice Center and the federal courthouse. I actually have the tweet just right here from the Portland police where they said, you know, those at the federal courthouse building and the Justice Center. Now, now here's what's funny. They tried claiming in the media and the leftist pundits saying they tried claiming that the violence was caused by the feds and the feds have withdrawn. And you probably heard me call them out several times because the violence never stopped. The feds never withdrew. And once again, they you know, so, so let me be fair. The violence outside the federal courthouse simmered a little bit. There was still violence, people getting beat up, fires being set. But federal, you know, DHS police weren't coming out and actually engaging with the rioters. The rioters actually started going to residential neighborhoods, harassing locals and rioting out there, walking around with bullhorns, screaming like no justice, no sleep for people. And because of that, 
it was technically the truth, the best kind of the truth, when they said that it was peaceful outside the courthouse. Okay, fine. Peaceful in the sense that fires and people getting beaten up is, is, is peaceful only because they're not being arrested. Sure, whatever. Well, they're back. They're at the courthouse again. We're back to where things were before the DHS came in. You see, on night 39 of the riots is when DHS finally said, okay, Okay, we're going to have some extra, you know, police officers coming in to help quell the violence. Here's what I love about this, though. You know, I could come here and I could say to you all, hey, there's another riot. Oh, and they, they threw rocks and stuff. But, we, but as I'm reading this article from KOIN6 coin, I noticed something. Sociologists to protesters. What are you demanding? Yeah, I, I, <laughs> nobody knows. Nobody knows. And that's actually a more interesting article, in my opinion. They say many... Uh, <laughs> As the nightly events continue, many wonder what protesters hope to gain. Many African-Americans are wondering why certain people are still out protesting on our behalf when even we are saying, what are you demanding? Said Dr. Sh- uh, Dr. Shirley Jackson, a professor of black studies at Portland State University. We asked for certain things. We are getting those things. And what we would really like to, to do is see those things being implemented. But there is concern the intention is being drawn away from the movement. Dr. Randy Blazik, a sociologist and chair of the Oregon Coalition Against Hate, told Coin6 News that since federal officers left, it appears protesters have been largely policing themselves, putting out fires started by others and quell violent behavior. But where do we go from here? You see, that is a lie. I think they're saying it because their goal is to propagandize. And when you have actual members of the of the black community and the NAACP who have been speaking out against these Black Lives Matter riots, you'll need some of the ideologues to come out and be like, well, they're mostly peaceful. I love it. Check this out. How can we quite literally have this article from just the other day at 3.54 p.m. saying they're mostly peaceful when we have 76 nights of riots? Okay, 76 nights of riots. That means yesterday, when this guy was claiming it's now mostly peaceful, they literally just had a riot the night before. Like the police declared it's, an, it's a riot. Not, you know what, man? Portland is in the gutter because they're going to release people even if they, even, even if these people assault an officer, there is a good chance they will be released. Okay, okay. We should probably read a bit about the riots from last night, but I want to highlight this, Okay. Antifa website cited in conservative media attack on Biden is linked to, wait for it, Russia. I don't care about this, but for those that aren't familiar, Antifa.com was redirecting to Joe Biden's website or something like that. And they're claiming it was linked to Russia because it was registered in Russia or something and switched to Panama. I, I don't care. What's interesting, however, is that the media acts like Joe Biden and Kamala Harris shouldn't denounce Antifa because that was the question that was asked. Should Joe Biden, you know, uh, uh, should Joe Biden, the Democratic Party, Kamala Harris, should they publicly denounce the Antifa as a domestic terrorist organization? Yahoo says it's not clear why she thought it uh, it raised that question, though, since there is no evidence that Biden, the Biden campaign has anything to do with Antifa.com or vice versa. Instead, the phenomenon cited by Rion had a clear link to Russia. OK, OK, this is all dumb. Listen, Multnomah County DA's office won't prosecute many arrested in Portland, uh, and they mention that they're even going to look at this. Prosecutors will scrutinize the cases of protesters accused of resisting arrest or assaulting public safety officer and consider the chaos of the environment. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We'll read about the riot. But here's the gist of what I want to get to before we dive in everything, right? 
Many on the left, many of these pundits have been lying nonstop, saying it's all been peaceful since the feds left. And that's a good reason why Joe Biden should denounce Antifa. But more importantly, he should because it's not really Antifa. The people that are going out and, and rioting are Black Lives Matter. That's what they're yelling. There's a video where they're out in front of a building and they're screaming, we're going to burn your building down. And then they yell Black Lives Matter. So yes, that's why people are sending Antifa Biden's way. Now, I, conservatives seem to think they say like, not all of them, Antifa is the militant wing of the Democratic Party and all this stuff. Let, let, let's, let's be clear, man. The far leftists, they hate Joe Biden and they hate Kamala Harris. Kamala Harris and Biden have absolutely been adopting radical, more progressive policies. But yes, some, some are very radical relative to where the U.S. has been. But they're not far left enough. Some of the things they do are far left, especially from a conservative perspective. But to the actual far left, Joe Biden is, is not nearly enough. Neither is Kamala Harris. So they don't like him. They don't want to vote for him. They don't want to support him. But there are a lot of people who make it seem like, you know, Antifa is, you know, part of the Democratic Party. No, no, no. They, they absolutely don't like, you know, Joe Biden. However, they were they, they believed they could use Joe Biden as, you know, he, he would sway on issues. Pro- the only problem for them now is Kamala Harris won't. So here's the most important part. The issue about denouncing Antifa has to do more with Black Lives Matter. Because Joe Biden does, the Democratic Party does support this top-down organization. And let me tell you, when the looting happened in Chicago, widespread windows being smashed, just stuff being stolen, gunshots, people shooting at cops, security guard gets shot, put in critical condition. When all that went down, the next day, the official Black Lives Matter chapter came out and said they didn't care about the looting, they wanted the looters released, and that looting was reparations. That was Black Lives Matter. So my question then would be more uh, more aptly. Here's what I would ask of uh, the president or Biden. I would say to to Biden, uh, we just saw widespread looting throughout Chicago, vandalism and destruction. People were shooting guns. A a security guard was shot and put in critical condition. 13 or 19, depending on your source, uh, officers were seriously injured. The next day, Black Lives Matter Chicago came out in absolute support of these looters demanding their release and said looting is their right looting as reparations. After seeing something like this, would you still support the Black Lives Matter movement? And will you condemn what Black Lives Matter Chicago said? That would be my question. Will that question ever be asked? I really doubt it. Because as much as I can respect, you know, look, the journalists who actually ask questions at the press briefings of the president, I got no problem with, by all means, ask away. The grandstanders, not a fan of. Softball questions, I find, you know, I, I roll my eyes at. So, you know, you know, if, if, if OAN's going to lob a softball at Trump to give him a, a chance to like make his point, not a big fan. But it's not the big a deal. Softballs, they happen. We know the biases. The bigger issue for me is, will anyone actually say what I just said? Because otherwise you just see this. Night 76, riot, tear gas, arrest in downtown Portland. I think as much as I don't really care to basically say the same things over and over again, and I'm sure most of you are probably over it, we should still at least get an understanding of a little bit of what happened with the riots. And then there's actually a little bit more because I want to talk to you about this. Check this out. This is where it gets more serious. Bend Oregon activists block ICE bus prompting federal agents response. The protest spanned hours as two unmarked ICE buses were blocked by protesters. Okay, they're not protesters. They're, they're extremists, insurrectionists, whatever. This is ICE taking away, you know, uh, I guess you, well, we'll get into it specifically because I, I don't want to, uh, I don't want to assert 
you know, crimes committed by an individual without proper context. The, the fact is, ICE is trying to transport people within the legal system. And now we're seeing direct obstruction of, tra- of, of, of ICE, of, you know, transportation of illegal immigrants. What we see over in Portland is chaos and rioting, and it's, and it's negatively impacting local residents. And it's important to call, all these, call these things out. You know, they show up and they riot in front of the federal courthouse and they cause all this damage and destruction. And that is interfering with law enforcement, but it's mostly at night. Now they're actually getting emboldened and they're standing in front of these vehicles. They're blocking them. So they're literally obstructing justice. I, I mean, justice in the legal sense. Well, so anyway, look, I'll, I'll chill on the rant. Let's read and see a little bit of what happened, because I did show you the Portland police are straight up saying they're outside the courthouse and all this stuff. Here's the news, whether we can trust it. And I'll make sure to fact check in real time. They say Port, uh, police declared a riot late Wednesday night after hundreds of demonstrators returned to downtown Portland after more than a week in which the biggest events were held in other parts of the city. As many as 300 people had gathered in Chapman and Lounsdale Square Park by about 9.30 p.m. Within an, hour, within an hour and a half, a riot was declared after fires were set near the federal courthouse and items like fireworks and rocks were thrown at officers. Portland police say one officer's hand was severely hurt and several others suffered minor injuries. Multiple arrests were made by the night's end. More information on those arrests is forthcoming. Police say members of the group began launching fireworks at the fence surrounding the courthouse by 10.30 p.m., while some individuals threw an unknown foreign substance at the front door of the PPB central precinct. So it looks like this was a man. This may have been the worst night of rioting we've seen yet. Extreme acts, severe injury of an officer on his hand. They're, 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 they're attacking the federal courthouse as well as the, you know, the justice center and a Portland precinct, the central precinct. They say, despite the fireworks, the gathering remained largely quiet um, until about 11 p.m. when a couple of small fires were lit near the federal courthouse. A fake pig head and Trump flag were set ablaze in the middle of Southwest Third Avenue. More fireworks and other objects were thrown over the fence surrounding the courthouse. Meanwhile, private vehicles blocked traffic from entering the protest area. Less than half an hour later, police warned the crowd over a speaker that criminal activity was occurring near the courthouse and needed to stop. Portland police declared the gathering an unlawful assembly at 11.30 p.m., cautioning that those who failed to leave would be subject to the use of tear gas, crowd control agents, or other impact weapons. They said it was a riot just minutes before midnight. Despite the riot declaration, protesters began moving toward the Justice Center and some threw fireworks and eggs at officers. Large numbers of Oregon State Police troopers, Multnomah County Sheriff's Office deputies, and Portland police officers then took to the streets to disperse the crowds, making arrests and deploying tear gas as they moved. Coin Six News witnessed authorities pepper spray at least one person. Police say around 1245 a.m., about 100 people remained and were moving back to the Justice Center. Those protesters? Are you kidding me, Coin? It's clearly a riot at this point. The rioters continue to throw items while officers dispersed the crowd once again. Some members of the group then moved near the central precinct where one person was arrested after vandalizing a police car. The vast majority of the demonstration of the demonstrators had dispersed by 2.30 a.m. The vast majority of the riots. Let me tell you why it was so important to have the feds involved. And it's this story I've highlighted before, okay? This is why, this is why I believe we, we need, I'm sorry, man. At this point, I think Trump has more than enough, you know, uh, uh, to, evidence, I suppose, to say, you lied. It was not the DHS causing this. 
because without federal law enforcement, you have Portland police, Oregon state police and Multnomah County sheriffs desperately trying to stop riots at multiple law enforcement buildings or, or, you know, the court building. They didn't stop. And I'll tell you what, when they say straight up, prosecutors will scrutinize the cases of protesters accused of resisting arrest or assaulting a public safety officer and consider, quote, the chaos of a protesting environment, especially after tear gas or other less lethal munitions have been deployed against community members and mass, the district attorney's office said in a news release. To put it mildly, if a rioter is out setting fires and attacking people and an officer says it's time to arrest them and the and the far left tries to pull off what they call a de-arrest, where they actually start grabbing and pulling and hitting the cops. Oh, you know what? It's just the chaos of a protesting environment. And they're going to release these people. They have straight up said Multnomah County DA's office won't prosecute many arrested in Portland protests. That's how they frame it. I'm sorry, man. The riots have been ongoing. You know what happened in New York? Some dude is accused. I say that. And I take it seriously. He's innocent until proven guilty uh, of trying to cut the brake lines of an NYPD vehicle. He got arrested. The courts in New York cut him loose almost immediately. My understanding with 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 no bail or bond. That's New York for you. The feds swooped in immediately and detained him. And now he's facing federal charges. It's the importance of the federal government. And it's what scares me about a Joe Biden presidency. Donald Trump sent in. It's called PACT. I forgot what it stands for, but it's CBP, ICE, Federal Protective Services to bolster U.S. Marshals. They were the ones defending the federal courthouse. I don't like the conflict, but I'm not stupid enough to blame the feds for being attacked simply because federal officers have better gear and riot control munitions doesn't make it their fault they are being attacked. If Antifa, the far left, if Black Lives Matter simply stopped setting fires and attacking the building, none of this would have been happening, right? Well, they came back. Without the feds making arrests, these people will continue to just be released and everything will go crazy. So that's it. The Trump's DHS was right to be down there. They were in a defensive position. They were arresting people and the media smeared and lied about everything that was happening. And, and that's a big risk for Trump. They're going to try and play that Trump secret police. Notice where the stories about the secret police attacking peaceful protesters. Nowhere to be found. So right now, all of these different departments are, are banding together to try and shut down what is becoming more widespread, more violent, these riots, and they're getting released even when they assault officers. And that's why I find it hilarious when we have these, these you know, many African-Americans wondering why they're out protesting. Well, they're rioting and they're doing it for no real reason. And it only just it, it makes the left look really bad. That's the problem. And that's why I said Biden needs to denounce this. To be fair, Biden said specifically that the violent people should be found and arrested and prosecuted to the full extent of the law. And, 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 I, and I give him the respect for saying that he deserves for saying that. I don't like the man. I think he's crooked. I think he's establishment. But credit where credit is due based on individual actions. If he comes out and says, you know, these people should be arrested, I'll say, good, good. It sets an example for everyone else to call this out. Now, here's where it gets worse. And this is why you've got to take a hard stand against these people. Bend Oregon activists block ICE bus, prompting federal agents response. ICE is a federal agency. These people are emboldened. And boy, are they going to get a reckoning with a swift boot. The federal federal law enforcement agencies you do not mess around with. They are very different. 
My understanding is that the prosecution rate, like the successful conviction rate for, for federal uh, uh, prosecutions is like 99%, like some ridiculously high number. If you interfere with the feds, they've got you, okay? And, they've, and, and I've seen activist organizions, like actual nonprofits that do, you know, nonviolent civil disobedience, warn protesters and activists about the dangers of engaging in federal protest, like even in Washington, D.C. You want to do something overtly illegal in D.C., you will get in trouble. We did see at the inauguration of Trump back in 2017, about, you know, 250 so far left rioters setting fires, breaking windows, smashing things. Most of them got away with it. They did. This, the, the, uh, the feds tried getting them on conspiracy charges because they all wear black and they act in concert. And, and, it, and it, it, it didn't fly. Uh, it's really, really hard to prove. And I can respect the legal system for, you know, saying we, we cannot prove that simply because someone was wearing, you know, all black, that they did do anything illegal. We can't criminalize simply because somebody was there with this, you know, outfit on. And it, and it is unfortunate. However, we're starting to see some jurisdictions roll with gang affiliation enforcement. So they're considering if you're part of an, an organization and you go out and you wear the same clothes, you're a gang. And now you're facing life for real. No joke. So this is where it becomes important to make the distinction. It's not Antifa. Antifa is a loose, you know, uh, a, a, a loose group of not, you know, a bunch of individual cells groups from various parts of the country. The individual groups themselves, you can call a gang. And I think that's that's relatively fair. I'm not sure how, how I feel about these like these laws of, 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 you know, escalation and intent where they're basically like it's already a crime, but it's more of a crime because you did something in a certain way. But I think gang laws aren't the worst of it. So if you start a group and you call it like, you know, the, the happy city Antifa or whatever, and you have an emblem and you take concerted action and you engage in certain activities, it's 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 gang related, especially if you're attacking, shaking people down. So check it out in Louisville, Kentucky. They're going business to business. They're threatening businesses and demanding cash. And they did it. And one business said no. So they smashed a flower pot and said, we're going to defame you. We're going to block your business. We're going to effectively shut you down unless you give us what we want. And they wanted 1.5% of net revenue sales donated, or they had to buy certain products from black owned businesses. Sounds like literal gangster racketeering, like from back in the day. And that's, it's maf- they called it mafia tactics. This is when gang laws probably come into play. So Black Lives Matter is a national top-down organization with individual chapters. And most of them have, like they recognize the National Black Lives Matter movement organization, which takes in money. It takes donations. It goes through Act Blue, which is another thing, you know, in and of itself. They loot. They defend the looting. They get violent. It's, it's, it's about time the feds actually came in and started treating this like what it is. It, it, it's a racket. I mean, think about it. They say things like, look, they're going around, they're smashing up windows, they're getting violent. There's no real uh, demand. They're not saying, here's the change we want. Many of them are calling for defunding the police, but many of like 129 or something departments have already been slowly defunded. So what I see right now is let's be let's be let's be completely, completely objective about this. What is at this point Black Lives Matter? It is a national organization with various groups that march through the streets in their name with defense from their chapters. In fact, some of these or these events with the far left violence have been organized specifically by Black Lives Matter. They have made demands for cash. They 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 request cash. 
whether you can call it a request. They attack and target businesses. They get violent. 76 nights. This sounds to me like straight up high level mafia stuff. And they're political. So some people would call it terror. I look back to how the old gangster stuff, you know, was in Chicago. I'm not a big history buff on Chicago's gangster history or anything like that. But politics plays a role. You pressure politicians to defend you, to not pass laws that would hurt you, to support you, to advocate for money to go to your organization. They say it's a nonprofit. They take in cash. Then they have street level groups in their name smashing up windows. But guess what? If you put Black Lives Matter flyers in your window, they'll leave you alone. And that's the name of the game. This is something beyond just a gang or a mob. It's, it's got a, an ideological bent to it. It's fanaticism. It's zealotry. And we're going to keep seeing it. So anyway, the gist of it. I get it. I don't know how many, look, I, you know, I can wake up every day and say, oh, you know, riots again in Portland. At this point, it's just safe to assume Portland is a riot. But I saw the thing about, you know, the Democrats denouncing Antifa. And yes, they absolutely should. Will they? No. But what about denouncing Black Lives Matter? I believe they should as well. And I, and I mean it because it's not, it's not what most people think it is. And there's a lot of victims of the violent crime coming from these groups. I'll leave it there. Next segment is coming up at 1 p.m. on this channel. Thanks for hanging out, and I will see you all then. Donald Trump has just helped coordinate an epic, historic Middle Eastern peace deal between the United Arab Emirates and Israel, and it puts some constraints on, I believe, both countries. I'm not going to pretend to be a big expert on these issues, but I do have the story. I do have the statement from Donald Trump, the uh, United Arab Emirates and Israel and the United States have issued a joint statement. Donald Trump has said this. I normally don't, don't do like hard breaking news uh, stories like this, but I, I think it's extremely important. We're going to read through this and I'm, I want to be absolutely fair. I've got some anti-war left-leaning uh, pundits and their opinions on this. Obviously, they're not pr- particularly positive. They say that these countries already had a tacit alliance as it is. And we'll talk about what this really means. But I want to show you this. We have this tweet from Donald Trump. Joint statement of the United States, the state of Israel, and the United Arab Emirates. I want to also point out, you know, for, for all of you, I, I really want to talk about uh, war in the Middle East following we, we, uh, once we get through this news. And just, and just be completely honest, I think these are some of the most important issues that we could be discussing. I know that for the most part, I talk a lot about the culture war and, you know, Antifa and Black Lives Matter and stuff. I think this, is, this just dropped in the past, you know, half hour or so from the time of recording this. And this is this is substantial and this is real history. This is not some some political bickering left, right, whatever. We're going to see a little bit of this. But but this is seriously, Donald Trump has done something truly amazing. It's not the first time he's had tremendous uh, victories. We're going to get political on this one as it pertains to the United States. But first, the news. President Donald J. Trump, this is their statement. Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu of Israel and Sheikh Mohammed bin Zayed, Crown Prince of Abu Dhabi, and Deputy Supreme Commander of the United Arab Emirates spoke today and agreed to the full normalization of relations between Israel and the United Arab Emirates. The historic diplomatic breakthrough will advance peace in the Middle East region and is a testament to the bold diplomacy and vision of the three leaders and the courage of the United Arab Emirates and Israel to chart a new path that will unlock the great potential in the region. All three countries face many common challenges and will mutually benefit from today's historic achievement. Delegations from Israel and the United Arab Emirates will meet in the coming weeks to sign bilateral agreements regarding investment, tourism, direct flights, security, telecommunications, technology, energy, healthcare, culture, the environment, 
the establishment of reciprocal embassies and other areas of mutual benefit, opening direct ties between two of the Middle East's most dynamic societies and advanced economies will transform the region by spurring economic growth, enhancing technological innovation, and forging closer people-to-people relations. As a result of this diplomatic breakthrough, and at the request of President Trump, with the support of the United Arab Emirates, Israel will suspend declaring sovereignty over areas outlined in the president's vision for peace and focus its efforts now on expanding ties with other countries in the Arab and Muslim world. The United States Israel and the United Arab Emirates are confident that additional diplomatic breakthroughs with other nations are possible and will work together to achieve this goal. The United Arab Emirates and Israel will immediately expand and accelerate cooperation regarding the treatment of and the development of a vaccine for the coronavirus. Working together, these efforts will help save Muslim, Jewish and Christian lives throughout the region. The normalization of relations and peaceful diplomacy will bring together two of America's most reliable and capable regional partners, Israel and the United Arab Emirates, will join with the United States to launch a strategic agenda for the Middle East and expand diplomatic, trade and security cooperation. Along with the US, Israel and the United Arab Emirates, share a similar outlook regarding regarding the threats and opportunities in the region, as well as a shared commitment to promoting stability through diplomatic engagement, increased economic integration, and closer security coordination. Today's agreement will lead to better, uh, to better lives for the people of the United Arab Emirates, Israel, and the region. The United States and Israel recall with gratitude the appearance of the United Arab Emirates at the White House reception held on January 28th, 2020, at which President Trump presented his vision for peace and expressed their appreciation for United Arab Emirates related supportive statements. The parties will continue their efforts in this regard to achieve a just, comprehensive, and enduring resolution to the Israeli-Palestinian conflict. As set forth in the vision for peace, all Muslims who come in peace may visit and pray at the Al-Aqsa Mosque and Jerusalem's other holy sites should remain open for peaceful worshipers of all faiths. Prime Minister Netanyahu and Crown Prince Sheikh Mohammed bin Zayed of of Al-Nayan express deep appreciation to President Trump for his dedication to peace in the region and to the pragmatic and unique approach he has taken to achieve it. This is uh, absolutely, this is remarkable. This is absolutely, absolutely remarkable. Of course, as noted in the statement, that the, the Emirates are already a regional uh, uh, supporter or to, you know, to whatever degree for the United States. What Trump has done has created, uh, uh, Trump and his administration, I want to I be absolutely fair on this. I do not think Trump has the sole credit, uh, re- should receive the sole credit. Obviously, there are many, many people involved in this. But I, I know already we're going to start seeing the media deny the work he did. They say straight up in the, in the, in the, in the letter, it was Trump's vision. He, he brought them together and he deserves strong credit for this. But so do these other leaders, uh, uh, Benjamin Netanyahu and uh, Sheikh Mohammed bin uh, Zayed. I hope I'm, I'm, I'm getting that incorrectly. They all came together and they've done something truly historic incredible and epic. Please, you know, let, uh, let's, let's take this for what it is. But I, I, I do want to take a look at, at, at why people feel this is important. I read you through the letter. We have the story here. It's with Trump's help. Israel and the United Arab Emirates reach historic deal to normalize relations. That's the important factor here, normalizing relations. I want to show you some uh, what I believe to be. Well, l- let me show you some tweets first. I'm highlighting Nate Silver. 
We're going to get political on this. It's not the first time Trump has been involved in something pertaining to Middle Eastern peace and conflict where he deserves credit. And uh, this was uh, last year, Donald Trump took action to uh, uh, basically defeat ISIS. Okay, Nate Silver's response. It really it's it, uh, it's really amazing how many libs can't even permit Trump to have one good day. Nobody will remember this stuff by Tuesday after U.S. forces kill perhaps the world's most wanted terrorist. So you probably remember when this happened. And it's true. Even in the comments, they're still ragging on Donald Trump. I'm highlighting this first and, and, and because we're about to dive into the politics of what Trump of what Trump has helped accomplish, along with the leaders of these countries. Let, let it be. It needs to be absolutely clear. It's 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 really the strength of two nations to normalize relations, have direct flights and trade and commerce. This is going to be an incredible day. It will be it'll be written about in the history books. It was under Trump's watch with his assistance. And I think it's important to give him credit for this. There are some people who disagree, and I want to I, I will fairly in my I will do my best to fairly represent how they view this, because we will absolutely see people not give Trump a good day. Omar Badar says nothing historic about this. They've been secret allies for a while now. You merely brought the alliance to the surface. Normalization with dictatorial governments is easy, but real normalization with the people of the region will require ending Israel's oppression of Palestinians. I disagree with this. I think bringing the alliance to the surface is one of the first things you must do to normalize relations between people. And I think it is unfair to slam Israel in this way when they came to the table. Negotiating isn't easy. You don't always get what you want. Yes, Omar is saying he doesn't agree with what Israel is doing and they're bad. I personally feel I, I think to be fair, yes, he's got a point. He really does. But please, man, this is such an important step towards getting something done. And you might not think it's all that great and you might think it's not good enough, but it's at least something good. Normalized relations between these two countries is the first step towards normalizing relations with the people. Think about it. If citizens of the Emirates can travel to Israel, to Jerusalem and worship in peace through direct flights, if, if, if Israelis can go visit the Emirates, people will start meeting each other. They'll start talking. This is why we praise diversity in this country or why it's, it's why we're supposed to. We're supposed to recognize that people of different you know, faiths and cultures can live together peacefully. And by meeting each other and understanding each other better, we can help stop the fighting. The first step towards doing this is opening up the borders. And I don't mean open borders. I'm saying with flights, with economics, with trade, people are going to start making money. They're going to start being happy. And from this, I'll tell you what's going to happen. The people of Israel will be glad to see that commerce is booming and they're living better lives. The same will be true for the Emirates. And that's why I think it is historic. When you get something like this in the public, this announcement, then you tell the world peace is possible. You tell the people we want peace and it is possible. And I see this all the time. There's cartoons. There's one famous car, uh, political cartoon where it shows a, a podium with an Israeli flag on the, on the right side, a podium with an Iranian flag. And the two politicians at both podiums are screaming at each other. But at the bottom of the podium, two hands are reaching out, offering each other flowers. And it was supposed to signify that the people don't want the war. The people don't want the conflict. It's the governments that do it. And taking that for what it is, I think it's fair to recognize perhaps there were secret allies in the sense that they were working with the U.S., but they have publicly stated it to the world. That's important. And yes, I think Trump deserves credit. Rania Kalik commenting on this. She said, 
It might be official now, but it's been true for a long time. At least now they're honest about it. Wow. Two American proxy states who were not so secretly allied are now officially allied. I actually think this is a, a, a fair assessment because I don't think Rania is being too hard. <laughs> she's, she's actually pointing out there's still some good here. I think it's fair, absolutely 100% to point out that uh, I, I'm assuming Rania is correct in this. I don't, I don't want to pretend like I have all the facts pulled up, but I'll, I'll take her word for it. I think it's fair to say you've got these two partners, the US, who are at odds with each other. And Trump used that and said, y'all need to come together. You absolutely do. To be fair, I want to show you uh, uh, some conservative points on this. Will Chamberlain, for instance, says in 2002, the United Arab Emirates was supporting the Palestinians and Arafat during the second intifada. Today, the UAE and Israel completely normalized relations. Historic achievement for Netanyahu, Trump and the UAE crown prince. I don't know if it's true, but I've heard some say that they didn't even recognize Israel. Many of these countries don't allow you. Listen, I'm not going to speak specifically for the Emirates because I've not been there. But when I, I've been to Israel, I've been to Tel Aviv. And before I went, I was warned, if you have an Israeli stamp, you can't go to a bunch of other countries. They don't recognize its existence and they will bar you from entry if you have that stamp. It is a really complicated thing. What, what a lot of people do is they get duplicate passports or Israel actually doesn't stamp your passport. They give you a card. So that's a, I, don't, I don't know, you know what people do to make this work, but this is, this is a serious issue. The normalization now, I mean, this is, this is absolutely tremendous. So I have this, uh, uh, this tweet from Benny because I got to admit, we're about to play some politics on this one. Benny, quote, uh, Benny, Benny Johnson says, Trump, so which is easier, dealing with the Democrats or dealing with the Middle East? I'll tell you, I think the Middle East is more reasonable. Obviously, Trump is being silly, he's making a joke, but it's a half joke. That's the point. And that's why I showed you the tweet from Nate Silver from back in October. The liberals, they can't give Trump one good day. I have no problem doing this. I'm going gonna, I'm, I'm gonna to tell you what, man. I, I, this, this, this is not a moment where I believe dragging Trump to feign some kind of impartiality is, is appropriate. Absolutely not. There, there are real things to, to criticize him about. That won't, I, won't, I won't be doing that. I'm going to be saying straight up, these are the kind of things I'm happy about. I hope all of you are optimistic here. I, I, I can respect the opinions of Omar and Rani. It's why I follow them. I, I tr- absolutely do respect their views. I think Omar is very, uh, I think he's a good dude. I disagree with him on a lot, of, a lot of issues, but I think he makes fair points and I disagree. And Rania as well. I think, I think they, they're, they're, you know, I'm, I'm glad to hear their opinions and I think uh, it's important to highlight them to be fair. My opinion on this, however, is there, there's a lot of things that I've tracked and covered pertaining to some Middle Eastern stuff. I don't think I know as much as they do for, for, for sure. And so perhaps it's because there's a lot of things I don't know I'm very supportive of this, but I'm happy. I'm happy to see it's happening. We have this tweet here from Dove Heikend. He says, historic deal, and it's not under progressives. That peace between Israel and its Arab neighbor is being achieved. But because of the bold vision and leadership of President Trump, it's a major breakthrough, and we hope it'll lead to normalization with the rest of the Arab world. Dove is, he is the former NY State Assemblyman, the founder of Americans AA, forever a proud Jewish American and staunch supporter of Israel. This is a a very staunch supporter of Israel being supportive of Trump and in his support of Israel, absolutely in favor of this this, this, uh, uh, public peace arrangement. I I hope, man, we can be optimistic on this one. I hope we can look at this as a positive. It doesn't always have to be negative. I know news is very, very often negative. I'm I'm elated. I got to tell you. I want to play politics, though. I really, really do. 
And I'm not going to play politics the way you think I'm going to play politics. I'm not here to simply blame the Democrats like Trump says, you know, it's easy to work the Middle East. I'm here to talk to you about both parties. And I'm here to give credit to Donald Trump on what I think is important to give credit, give him credit for. Too much of our media is completely dominated by orange man bad. Trump is the worst. And that's why I don't like engaging in it in that. And very often when I do stories, I will be like, listen, you have to understand, like, here's why I'm critical of Trump. This is not meant to be a strict praise of him. This this is because this is his story. This is this is this, this is an amazing uh, uh, time in the history of the world. And Donald Trump has been doing things that I think are good for peace. From Defense One, they write, to block Trump's troop withdrawals, Congress turns an old tactic upside down. Congress historically has tried to force presidents to bring troops home. But in the last three years, lawmakers have repeatedly tried to make laws to do the opposite. This is from Katie Bo Williams, senior correspondent, uh, uh, senior, senior national security correspondent for Defense One, written on July 14th, talking about how it's kind of strange Donald Trump has tried to withdraw our troops, particularly from the Middle East, and both parties are obstructing him. I don't like the establishment politics in this country. I don't like what we see from the Middle East. And increasingly, over the past few years, I have become to appreciate some of the things Trump has done, has done as it pertains to uh, our foreign policy. Trump is far from perfect. Uh, but in the past, he has sought to, uh, you know, pull our troops back, which is what we're seeing now. Now we have the peace arrangement. And, and again, you know what? I'm, I'm going to avoid the hard criticisms. But there have been, there, there have been things Trump has done for, foreign policy-wise that I'm not happy with. But this is a step in the right direction. You know, this is what I always tell people. If you see someone do something good, you give them credit for it. When Ocasio-Cortez and Elizabeth Warren called out big tech companies for their monopolistic behavior and surveillance and spying, I said, thank you. Thank you for this. I disagree with you on many of these issues. I'm very critical. But when you do something that is good and right, I will absolutely give credit where credit is due. It must be done because you want to encourage more of good behavior, more good behavior. Take a look at this. Katie says, a bipartisan group of House lawmakers who want to stop President Trump from pulling U.S. troops from military conflicts and overseas bases are using a once unusual tactic that has in the last three years become Congress's go to tool. Lawmakers from the Senate and the House have in the last three years sought to use legislation to prevent the president from pulling troops from Afghanistan, Syria, South Korea and now Germany, unless the administration certifies that a withdrawal will not harm U.S. or allied interests. It's an unusual reversal for Congress, which historically is far more likely to seek to force a return of American troops, not demand they remain deployed. According to Daniel Lupton, a Colgate University professor who has tracked foreign policy and defense votes since the late 1970s, the overwhelming majority of votes related to the use of force or troop deployments have sought to bring troops home or constrain the president from using force. Although there are few cases where Congress voted to support a deployment, Lupton said, it was typically a friendly legislature acting symbolically to reaffirm the president's foreign policy. But as lawmakers on both sides of the aisle have grown increasingly concerned about the decision making behind Trump's withdrawal efforts, described by former administration officials as erratic, impulsive outbursts driven by domestic policies, this unconventional tactic has gained popularity. He's not a strategic thinker, but he has some instincts that have been consistent, said John Owen, head of the University of Virginia's Department of Politics. One of those is that the U.S. has fought a lot of worthless wars, in particular Iraq and Afghanistan, and the second is that the U.S. is being exploited by free riding allies. 
The problem he has is that very few in Congress agree with him. Well, you know what? I agree with him. I do 100 percent. I can't I, I, I cannot. Look, I understand their secret, top secret. There's reasons why we don't know why we're engaged in certain conflicts, why we have troops in certain areas. But I will tell you this, man, if they cannot justify to me, you will not get my support for these conflicts. Civilians die, particularly in the Middle East. And it was all based on lies. It was based on lies. And, and we were driven into this by mainstream media outlets that fanned the flames of war, that lied to us and told us to do it. And Trump is saying, you fake news, and we're, we're bringing our troops home. And I'm like, wow, I, here, here, do it to it, man. Do it, do it to it. With this peace deal in, in the Middle East, it's showing me that perhaps the real issue is the old crony establishment and those who seek to profit from war do not like what Trump is doing. Because outside of his troop withdrawal, he's negotiating peace deals. Of course, it was potentially an easy one to give credit to Rania and, and Omar that the Emirates and Israel are, are, you know, we call them whatever you want, proxy states of the U.S. imperialism or whatever you know they're saying, or, or they're allied with the U.S. in certain ways. That's an excellent opportunity to present to the world a real chance for peace. I'll take it, man. I will take it. If it's, if it's nothing but a symbolic victory, that symbol still means something. People will, will now reckon these, with the fact these governments are saying straight up, okay. Does it really mean we're going to see hard changes from Israel? Maybe not what we hope for, but come on, man. You, 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 you've got an opportunity here to say, let's move forward in this direction, a direction towards peace. And if we can make better arrangements, if there's stronger economic ties, more direct flights and people traveling back and forth, this will result in both countries doing better by their people. So I, so I tell you this, if all these people on the left really do believe that diversity is a strength, then why not accept that, you know, uh, direct flights between the countries and, and, and allowing tourism and allowing Muslims to come to Jerusalem and worship. These are things that lead us towards being more accepting of each other and, and bringing about peace. I hope that's the case. There's a real potential for breakdown. You know, maybe something bad happens. Maybe in the next week, the peace deal doesn't hold. I want to be optimistic for once, for once. Almost all the news is always negative. I give credit to Trump for this one. I know there's a little negativity in this in this piece. I tried to avoid it to the best of my abilities. But uh, this is this is this is for Trump. This is a huge, huge victory. Congratulations. And uh, we'll get back to complaining about the Democrats and and, and the conflict here in the domestic side over uh, at TimCast.net at 4 p.m. Thank you for hanging out again. Like I said, I don't normally do like breaking. This just happened. But I need you. I need you to understand this is a seriously big deal. This is a seriously big deal. Uh, I'll see you all at four over at TimCast.net. Thanks for hanging out. Earlier this year, when they started announcing this strange, you know, virus was spreading in a bunch of different countries, I was pretty nervous. I was pretty worried. I thought it was very important to take very, very seriously. And then it became a pandemic, and it was very important to make sure you are prepared for potential economic disruption. I got to admit, I am not, for the most part, concerned about COVID right now. Not that I, I, I think it's an issue. I do. I think the bigger issue is that politics is getting in the way of accurate uh, of, of solving the problem itself. But outside of the politics of it, whether or not you are super concerned and, and you're, you're worried about COVID, the bigger issue is and always has been economics and the threat to you and your family from a lack of resources. I'll tell you what really does scare me. This photo right here. I'm not kidding. This scares me. I, I, I mean that. It's about as scared as you'll see me be, I suppose, unless, I don't know, like a swarm of gigantic wasps started chasing me. But no, no, I look at this and this is, look, when I've dealt with conflict crisis and danger situations, 
you get a kind of fear, but it's more of like an adrenaline rush alertness. I wouldn't consider I wouldn't call it fear necessarily. It's something different. It's like you're, you're alert in the moment and you're, you're, you're laser focused. This photo, what you're seeing is a miles long a line of cars of people who need food. People who have cars, have gas and don't have food. This scares me. I am worried about what's going to happen past this election. What we will what, what we will have access to. Who are these people who can't afford to eat that in a fair park in Dallas? have to line up in this massive line, 1,710 families. It's worrying. Now, there's some good news and some bad news uh, in, in, in terms of how we look at this. 1,710 families, that's a lot of people, not relative to how many people live in the Dallas area. So maybe it's not as bad as we think. Maybe it's just 1,000, 2,000 people need food and the millions of other people are totally fine and the system will be fine. Or maybe this is just a sign of things to come. My biggest fear, you know, looking at, at these images and looking at stories like this, is that we have not yet begun to see the true disruption. I was browsing a professional camera website recently. And, you know, as you know, I have, you know, I have a show here. I have a studio. We have a bunch of cameras and we periodically need to update, upgrade. And I needed gear for the van. I started looking at options and I noticed that they were almost sold out of, of everything. There was, there was nothing in stock. And I started thinking to myself, I've never seen it, this barren. And, and it, started, it started to remind me of earlier this year when we saw the shelves disrupted. I saw this story. I started thinking, listen, you know, when, we, when, the, when the shelves were first disrupted, this was mostly about people rushing to the store and buying things up before shipments got in. You know, a lot of people who were hoarding stuff and toilet paper, for instance, and they were mocked for it. What we're seeing now, I think, could be similar. However, Due to the economic disruption, which has been ongoing for quite some time, and now this, millions of Americans at risk of eviction after moratorium expired. Between 30 million to 40 million Americans are at risk of eviction over the next several months. And I know Donald Trump is, is seeking to stop this. He signed the executive order. So we'll see how it, you know, we'll see what happens. But if we're looking at people who are going to be evicted because they can't pay their bills, whether there's a moratorium or not, these are people who have no money. Here's what it comes down to. Will there come a point where you are trapped in a line with tens of thousands of people, tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands in desperate need of food, and you know you're not going to get it? That freaks me out, man. Uh, Most of you know that I've been trying to expand things. We've been talking about getting a new building and moving, and it's it's, it's near impossible. Just Just the way the banks are moving, the way everything is being handled, it is near impossible to get anything done. And this is, uh, is absolutely worrying to me. I'm going to do something I don't normally do. Highlighting the story. I'm going to do something I, I, I don't normally do, but I think I need to. Check this out. Safeandreadymeals.com. I've promoted it several times. A lot of people like to laugh at me. Ha ha ha. Tim's promoting emergency food and they make memes about it. By all means, you can mock me. You can make fun of me all day and night, man. I'm not a perfect person, but I will tell you this. I am sincere when I say I hope you consider preparing in, 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 in a, to a certain extent for yourselves in light of recent economic information. I don't know much about gold. I don't know much about silver. I don't know how stocks work for the most part. I'm not that kind of guy. I mostly dealt with conflict and crisis and things like this. I recently saw that gold was above $2,000. I saw silver was above like, you know, 27 or something. And I was like, man, this is kind of worrying. 
Now we're looking at 30 to 40 million evictions. And we're looking at a miles long line of food, of people who need food. So I'll tell you this. Safe and ready meals, you, right now they're sold out of their two-week supply. They have an upgraded four-week emergency supply. It, is, it, it will be back-ordered by, I think, you know, uh, uh, I don't know how long, but uh, it, you will eventually get it. I have some emergency food myself. I have it in the closet. I don't touch it. It's, uh, uh, it's, it stores very, very easily. Check it out. Do what you got to do. Ignore me. Agree with me, whatever, man. I just... You know, I, I, I rarely do this. Okay, again, safe and ready meal, safe and ready meals Link is in the description below. It does support the channel when you buy the stuff. I don't I, I mean it sincerely when I say that I saw this one story and it kind of broke me out of the traditional news cycle of we got the riots going on. It's just worrying enough. And we've got, uh, you know, it's still COVID economic issues. I just saw this line and I thought to myself, man, I'm really, really frustrated because I'm trying to move. All right. Most of you know. We want to do more shows, we want, we, but, but mostly I want to get away from these cities because I can't imagine what would happen. I live in a dense, you know, suburban area. I'm really close to Philly and I'm not excited about what happens when these evictions hit. There are going to be people standing outside of the stores begging for food. I don't want to be there. I want to be self-reliant. I want to be off in the middle of nowhere. I want to know that I'm, I'm safe and relatively isolated. I'm not really moving to the middle, middle of nowhere, but I want to, I want to know that I don't have to worry about tens of thousands of people rushing to the local store and kicking the windows in and trying to get food because they're gonna if they can't get food. Maybe maybe nothing bad is going to happen. I mean, I don't know. I really I can't tell you what I can say is the economy has improved a bit. You know, the the market's way up. That's not necessarily a good thing. It, it, It means a lot of things. I mean, you know, look, we got it right here. There's a dip from the Dow Jones. I don't know whatever that's supposed to mean. Nasdaq is up. We're looking at really great numbers. But I'm more concerned about when people get evicted, if they can't live in, if they have nowhere to live, if they have nothing to eat, what do they do? Where do they go? And it's going to pour out of cities. The people who live in cities, right? You need to understand it's really hard to get resources into cities because of traffic, because of narrow roads and because of increasing population density, becoming more and more dense. At which point I wonder, like, when will New York be fully cut off? I saw this story and then I saw this story. Arizona landlords sue Governor Doug Ducey in effort to end eviction moratorium. The Arizona Multi-Housing Association, Manufactured Housing Communities of Arizona, and several rental housing owners filed the special action on Wednesday. They say the Arizona State Landlords Association is suing Governor Doug Ducey in an effort to get him to throw out his moratorium on residential evictions. The landlords are asking the Arizona Supreme Court to declare the eviction moratorium as unconstitutional. They say that the moratorium violates the separation of powers imposed by the state's constitution and violates the constitution's contract clause. I'm, I'm torn on this one, man. Look, some landlords, I believe uh, you, you can make arguments about whether or not passive landlording is acceptable. And a lot of people just think it's fine. People on the left absolutely do not agree. There are some landlords that are hands on and it is their job to maintain a property, to invest in the property, to ensure that everything is working. There are many landlords, probably the majority, who live in the buildings themselves. Most people don't realize this. They assume a landlord is like some business somewhere that owns 50 billion properties. You know, I'm I'm obviously exaggerating, but they own a handful of properties. and They rent them out. That's true. But all of these, they're businesses. They have staff. They have on-site managers. they They have to pay for repairs. Some people are very passive about hire a manager, make passive income. But regardless of the income they make on it, if these if people don't pay rent, 
then everyone else involved in the building maintenance profession don't get paid either. There won't be repairs. Windows will break. People won't leave and they can't make money and it will only get worse. On the flip side, what do you do? Do you evict everybody? You evict all of these people who can't pay their bills because the economy has been shut down. And then what do you think happens? People are going to riot and they're already rioting. But I'm telling you, man, we get 30, 40 million evictions. You will see people with nothing left to lose. And that's what scares me. And that's why I'm probably going to, I mean this, I'm going to order some more emergency food. You know, my, my, my plan was, I've never been a prepper or anything like that. But my plan was once we relocated and got set up, I was going to stock up on a, 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 not hoard, but just have like a general pantry. Mostly because, look, I really am going to live in the middle of nowhere. And a lot of people don't get this. When you live out in the middle of nowhere, you do get like, you know, a couple weeks supply of food or more because the store is actually quite away, a bit away. Like the place we're looking at the store is like an hour drive or something. So you might as well get everything you need so you can make less trips, not spend so much on gas, save energy, lower carbon emissions. You get the point. I was hoping to do that. But man, we are we are getting uh, uh COVID has really made it impossible to do anything. And that's been freaking me out. When I see record gun sales, when I see stores just totally sold out, like electronics professional stores, things aren't getting restocked. I'm like, I've never seen this before. Maybe it's nothing. Maybe it's nothing. Maybe it's something. I don't know, man. I just forgot. I'm just a little freaked out, I suppose. I mean, look, you take care of yourself. If you got the skills, you do your thing, you'll probably be okay. But you can, you can go to Safe and Ready Meals if it's something you're into. I'll tell you this. Each and every one of you right now, download a standard survival guide to your phones. It's not prepping. It's just smart. Maybe you go camping. You got a little instruction book on how to start a fire. Maybe your battery dies. You can't do anything. Well, I don't tell you. But I, I have an outdoor survival guide. I have a couple actually on my phone. Not because I ever expect to have to be, you know, trapped in the woods and surviving because you won't be able to charge your phone anyway. I think it's a safety precaution. It's useful. And also a first aid manual. Get these things. It, knowledge is really, it really is power, man. People don't realize it. But we know so much. At, even the layman in today's society understands the basic concepts of like, if I told you how to smelt or something, you'd have a general idea. You start a fire, get a, you know, hollow out a rock, put you know, metals in it, they'll melt, and then you can make a forge. We've, we have general ideas of things. We're not going to be pros. We're not going to be good as amateurs, but we have general ideas. It really, really, it really helps us. So think about that. Download these things. I'll leave it there. Next segment's coming up in a few minutes, and I will see you all shortly. Honestly, I expected the number to be more than a third, but I can't say I'm surprised. Over a third of voters know someone who supports Trump, but won't say so in public. Over a third of voters know someone. So what does that mean? That means you've got about just over 33% of voters. So does that mean that within that group, maybe multiple people know the same person? So it's less. Maybe they know more than one person, so it's more. But I'll tell you what, it's true. Trump's got secret voters because people are scared to speak up. It is kind of changing. And maybe we'll come back to this and go over the numbers. I'll just, I'll, actually, I'll just give you the, the quick you know, gist of things. They say over a third of all registered voters in America know a friend or family member who privately supports President Donald Trump, but who is reluctant to say so. A total of 36% of respondents said an acquaintance of theirs has kept quiet about his or her support for the president. An additional 25% were not sure if they know someone in that category. And 39%, meanwhile, said they had no friends or family who secretly support Trump. We'll see how things play out. I'll come back and maybe we'll talk about some of this. But I want to show you this story. This is why you clicked the video, right? A liberal for Trump. Interesting. 
Kerry Smith says, I'm voting for Trump because the Democratic Party is no longer liberal. I'm if, if the vote were held today, as most of you know, in I, I, I'd probably vote for Trump. Uh, I don't know about the rest of the Republicans. And this has mostly to do with the insane intersectionalism. The you, You've got people like Robin D'Angelo, an overt racist being like leading the charge for these people. It's freaky. They're 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 racist people. And you've got the riots. They're lying about this. Trump has done enough. You know, you combine with the Democrats embracing the riots, their their ridiculous positions, they're fracturing. And I'm like, they're not liberal. They're not. For me, it's a lot to do with the Middle East. I mean, Trump just saw, uh, just helped coordinate a massive, epic, historic uh, Middle Eastern peace deal. I give him credit for these things, man. So I think there's reasons to say he's bad. He's ill prepared. He's unprofessional, but he's not that bad. You know what I mean? The, the way they talk about him. Well, here's what here's I want to show you what this woman has to say. She says, hello, my name is Carrie. And I'm a liberal who is voting for Donald Trump. A little background. I used to be a social justice warrior. For 20 years, I was a true believer who preached this evil ideology, fully convinced that it was the way to end racism and sexism. It took me two decades to realize it is racism. It is sexism. Bravo. Before the 2016 election, I went down a rabbit hole of videos of Trump supporters being assaulted by people who are supposed to be on my side, who are supposed to be liberals and progressives. I was left in tears, utterly shocked and repulsed because the legacy media had not told me this was happening. Matter of fact, they had sold me and I had bought and I had bought without sufficient evidence the opposite narrative. She says, I still cried the night Trump won because I still believed the things I was told to believe about him without forming my own opinion. Social justice warriors do that a lot, but it became really important for me to figure out why he won because I wanted to prevent it from happening again in 2020. So I started leaving my carefully cultivated echo chamber. I started seeking out other points of view and, I, and actually listening to why people voted for him. Instead of projecting and telling them what the media had told me were the reasons, I started meeting Trump voters, most of whom did not fit the stereotype I had been sold. And in the past four years, I watched as my old ideology, social, social justice Marxism, went mainstream. In the past few months in particular, it has become culturally dominant to the point where it is being spoken by all of our major corporations, by academia, by entertainment, by big social, by the legacy media, and by the Democratic Party, my old party. Social justice Marxism teaches us that the way to end racism and sexism is by becoming racists and sexists. It tells us we must treat people differently on the basis of race and sex. It teaches us it's impossible to be racist towards one particular race or one particular sex. Gee, I wonder what could possibly go wrong with indoctrinating children to believe this. So, so social justice Marxists lie. Look at their behavior and see if it matches up even with their redefined words. It doesn't. They tell us that we must shut up and listen to black voices, listen to women, listen to gay people and trans people. Oh, but not that black person, not that woman, not that gay person or that trans person. And there are many with you've got Candace Owens. You've got, I mean, for that woman, we can go again and say, you've got Candace Owens. But sure, you've got Kanye West, Candace Owens, the Hodge twins. You've got Brandon Strzok. You've got Blair White. Those are the people who, who are supposed to be these marginalized people, but their, their opinions are, are marginalized. Their point of view, what matters to them, what they think is important, what protects them, you will not find that with the Democratic Party. And it, and it, and it, it cracks the narrative of what they're saying. But let's, let's keep reading what Carrie is saying. She says, or that one, or that one, or that one. What they really mean is that we must speak their ideology and only their ideology or else remain quiet. They are the first to use racist and sexist and homophobic slurs against anyone brave enough to stand up to their backward beliefs because they know it hurts. They know it hurts you. I watched it. I watched the Proud Boys in Portland 
and the, and the far leftists and Antifa were screaming hardcore racial slurs at a right wing black man. And they knew, they know that they can do that to hurt these people. And you know what I saw? It was actually a white proud boy who, who gave the guy a hug and said, ignore them. Don't let them hurt you. That's not who you are. We're in this together. And I shook my head, man. I'm like, look at these two guys. This guy was ready to storm across the street and, 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 and knock out some of these racists, Antifa. And it was actually one of the proud boys who stopped him and said, don't listen to him. Don't let the racists get to you. And I just, I, I shake my head because I'm like, it's just, how absurd is this? The anti-racists, they, they, they fly that flag, but they are legit racists. They're legit. They say it themselves. They say they are. And Carrie is saying it right now. She calls it a cancerous ideology being forced in a cult-like indoctrination seminar in workplaces, in our churches, in our hobby groups. She says, I was indoctrinated into it in college 20 years ago, but it is now being forced on children in public schools as early as kindergarten. Heck, it's even being pushed on babies. Babies, I kid you not, with books like Anti-Racist Baby becoming trendy in this illiberal cultural revolution. The Democrats support all of this. They are no longer a party of liberalism, but a party of social justice, Marxism and authoritarianism. Yep. She says, well, I am a liberal and I will not, I will not allow these Marxist totalitarians to redefine the word the way they try to redefine so many. There is nothing liberal about supporting censorship by big social or the government. Thank you. It was very easy for me to be like, you know, I've always been kind of a lefty liberal, meaning if corporations get out of line and start oppressing the commons, we regulate them. And then all of a sudden the Democrats were like, no, we're not in favor of that. Private corporations are okay. And I said, what? <laughs> when, when have we ever been in favor of that? We've always wanted to reel in the corporations. Oh, it, it doesn't matter because they're giving you power. That's the lie. And so my position's never changed. I, I'm, I'm probably, in, in, you know, feeling something similar to we see from many people. The left left me. Or what was the left? Maybe it was always the left. She says, there is nothing liberal about supporting violence by speaking lies that conflate speech with violence in order to justify violence as a response to speech. Silence is not violence. Words are not violence. There is nothing liberal, liberal about indoctrinating generations of children into racism and sexism and saying it's okay because you call it anti-racism and feminism. Clever, but you're lying. There is nothing progressive about pushing escalating numbers of children to medically transition or to mock and demean them if they later detransition. There is nothing progressive about wishing death on people who disagree with you and celebrating when a terrorist shoots up a Republican baseball game about grave dancing when cops, both black and white, and gunned down at a Black Lives Matter rally. She says, I am a liberal who is voting for Trump because I am deeply worried about the state of our country, about the erosion of cultural values like free speech, equality, the non-aggression principle, reason, logic, objectivity, and individualism. I am a liberal who is voting for Donald Trump because I oppose racism and sexism. And I see that my old party, the Democratic Party, has been entirely eaten up with, with racist and sexist beliefs a mind virus that threatens to make monsters of men and to end civilization as we know it. I agree. She says, I am a liberal who is voting for Trump because despite the names I will be called and the friends I, I have lost and will lose, I believe he is the person running who has demonstrated the most commitment to ending war. That I agree with. The most commitment to individualism and equality. The most commitment to free speech. In short, I am a liberal who is voting for Trump because I think he is the most liberal of the candidates I can choose from. And let me say a word about others like me who are part of Walk Away and those I've been blessed to get to know. Nobody willingly subjects themselves to social ostracism, to name calling and insults, to risk of losing their job, to risk of losing their family's safety without good reason. And that reason is the pursuit of truth. 
She goes on to talk a bit more, you know, about some other people. I try to keep these segments short, but I'll just say, man, I think she hits the nail on the head. Absolutely. That so many people know they're risking everything and they're going to get attacked and they won't admit it. I've had friends say nasty things to me, but I'm like, listen, have you have you paid attention to any of my content? You haven't. And if you did, you'd probably agree with me on these issues. Let me tell you, I do not like Donald Trump as a president. When he showed up to that interview with Axios on HBO, when he showed up to, you know, to Chris Wallace, he is ill prepared, even with Kaylee McEnany's help. I, I thought I didn't realize she was there with him. I think she's fantastic. I think she's very smart. And she takes, you know, she, she takes on the media head. She's very, you know, uh, prepa- she's prepared. Trump less so. But I believe Trump wants to do certain things. And there are certain things I'm not a big fan of or don't care about. But there are certain important, important things like ending war, defending free speech, stopping violent crime. I support him in these, in these endeavors. I think ultimately right now, Joe Biden and Kamala Harris will do whatever they have to to get elected. They'll pander to extremists, this woke, insane cult. Donald Trump won't. Trump will say whatever he wants to say. And he said, Black Lives Matter is Marxist. And if I'm wrong, well, I guess I'll lose an election. And I, I, I was impressed by that. At least, you know, I said about Bernie Sanders. And the reason why I wanted to support him was because although I disagree with him, he was, he's been consistent. And at the very least, I know he's being genuine. I can say the same thing about Donald Trump. I don't agree with him. And I think Bernie was, was more professional, but Bernie sold us all out. He flipped it immediately. Donald Trump's got a lot of problems. But right now, following the riots and the economic crisis, I'm angry. I'm angry at the Democrats for abandoning me. And now the only choice I have is Trump. And I disagree with him on a lot of issues. But at the very least, he provides a bare minimum of what we need in this country to literally survive. Free speech, liberalism, whatever you want to call it. He's the most liberal candidate. If we're going to survive and make it through this, it's not with Joe Biden and Kamala Harris. And that to me is scary because I don't want to be backed into a corner, but that's how I feel. I know that people like Kerry and Brandon Strzok have, you know, have, have come to more support Trump. I'm, I'm not going to put it in words in her mouth and other people have straight up said they like the guy. I think he's entertaining and funny, but I would not pick him to be the president. I think the president needs something more, but I will take what I can get because the alternative is oblivion. And that's unfortunate. It really is. And I'm not happy about it. I can laugh at Trump's jokes. I don't have Trump derangement syndrome. I think the guy's funny. I get it. I'll take what I can get. I got one more segment coming up in a few minutes and I will see you all shortly. In my past segment, just a few minutes ago, I talked about a liberal who said they were going to be voting for Donald Trump. And the reason was he's actually the most liberal candidate running. And she was right. Her name was Carrie Smith. She was correct. You look at Joe Biden, Kamala Harris, not (laughs) particularly liberal. And Trump isn't necessarily in the colloquial sense as we know it. But classically, yeah, he is. He supports free speech and individualism. And he wants to defend the people, you know, the American people's right to work. and, and, And there's a lot of good things about him. Well, I would like to show you your future under Joe Biden. Behold, your new police department. I'm not kidding universities are talking about disarming their police. And we'll talk about it, but I want you to see this image first. This comes from Evergreen State a couple of years ago. We all knew it was coming. We knew it was going to get worse. And now, yeah, well, it's, it's getting worse. Look at this photo of these college extremists, whatever you want to call them, far left extremists, wielding baseball bats. How creepy. Look at this. Well, these people actually, apparently, there's a video where they actually hit a guy with a baseball bat. That's who's going to be policing your streets. This is what I mean. When I say morality policing, this is what you are going to get. Let me warn you now. 
what started at Evergreen made its way nationwide. These weird, the, the expansion, listen to Brett Weinstein about how he talks about this. He warned about this. And yes, as soon as these people graduated and started getting jobs at these companies, lo and behold, these insane ideas began spreading. I won't stand for it, but I'll tell you what, this comes next. Take a look at the story. Portland State will disarm campus safety officers this fall. And what do you think comes next? A bunch of crazy far left extremists with baseball bats walking around saying, no rap music. What is that dress? That looks like cultural appropriation. Whack with a baseball bat. You're not going to have accountable cops. Sorry, that won't be the case. Oregon Live reports. Portland State University announced Thursday that campus safety officers will no longer carry guns during patrol. The move comes as Portland nears 80 days of continuous protests against police violence and systemic racism. Students at Portland State have lobbied to get guns removed from campus security. It was one of the issues that caused students and supporters to shut down a governing board meeting at the school in 2016. In 2018, Navy veteran Jason Washington was killed by a campus police officer during a melee outside the cheerful tortoise. The killing of Washington, who was black, renewed calls to take guns away from campus safety. Willie Halliburton, the university's new campus safety chief, told the Oregonian Oregon Live that he believes disarming the officers needed to be done. We can do an effective job without weapons, he said. I know they're, they're talented to do their jobs without the use of weapons. So let me, let, let, me, let me back up a little second. They say, 80 days of continuous protests in Portland. 80? Is that what we're at? I, I, everyone just seems, seems to be incrementing up the number. They're riots. They keep saying protests. Why? When these people show up with a baseball bat and smash up your house, they're going to say, oh, but they were humble. They were simply protesting. That, that, that wasn't a riot. It's a protest. It was a protest. That's what they'll say. Portland State, a Navy veteran, Jason Washington, was killed by a campus police officer. Okay. How many years have the police been armed? How many, how many interactions do the police have with people in, in, at the university? And how many people have died? Maybe it's more than one, but because of this one, they're going to take the guns completely away from police. You see, if we're going to make changes, we need to actually understand what the problems are and figure out if they're actually problems. How many people have been saved because these officers are armed? What if someone plans, you know, heaven forbid, a mass shooting? Well, then you might need someone who can protect you. What happens if a roving band of far left extremists with baseball bats are romping about campus, smashing windows and threatening people's lives and unarmed police show up? They'll run away. They'll completely run away. I'm not saying I want to see escalation with weapons, but there's a reason why police have weapons. Now, I'm not entirely opposed to this, to be fair. I think the issue is certain patrol, you know, uh, officers might, you know, be disarmed in a sense, might have their, you know, not carry weapons around with them, carry batons, tasers, pepper spray, but not, you know, live ammunition. And then you have a special unit dispatch when the, the situation calls for it. I'm assuming that will still be the case, considering if someone did come in with a weapon, you'll end up seeing other departments dispatched. But I guess outside of my opinion on what we should do, there is a real concern for the security of the school. And if someone is wielding a dangerous weapon, a baseball bat, a knife or a gun. So, of course, the protesters, the rioters, the extremists get what they want. So I think when I see this and I saw what happened at Evergreen, my prediction is simple. Evergreen was this unhinged protest where they shut things down and took over. 
It's expanded into the mainstream. It's now affecting every level. It's, it's even in our government. 10% or more of the CDC signed a document demanding they declare racism a public health crisis nationwide. That's insane. And we've seen the violence nonstop for 80 days. They've taken it from the campus to the streets. So I've warned about morality policing. We've seen it in New York. My main segment was basically about morality policing, that the DA in Chicago is a presumption of dismissal, letting people go. New York did it. Portland is doing it. Fort Worth did it. And what happens after that? When they disband the police departments, what do you have? When they disarm the police departments, when they defund the police departments, their community policing looks like this. So what, what, what do you think is going to happen? What would you do if this group showed up to your house, knocked on the door, and you opened it, and they said, hey, man, you're, uh, you're Mexican. We heard you playing hip hop. No, stop or else. And you say, hey, man, I can listen to music. Smash. They smash your window. What happens when they confront you in the street? Like the guy, there's a video where a guy's like walking through the park and they're yelling at him. And he tells them basically to F off. They hit him with a baseball bat. You can barely tell what's going on. It's alleged. That's what happened. What happens when these people are romping around your neighborhood, wearing all black and there's no police? What happens when they show up to your house and they throw a Molotov and there's no real police because they are the police? This is what I ask people. What do you think community policing means? What do you think it means when they defund and disarm and disband police? You realize somebody has to step up and somebody wants to. Take a look at what these people do the moment they get threatened. They yell, help, help, call the police. And then the police, some <laughs> police actually shoved up them. In Seattle, when they were literally dancing on the highway and a couple of women got hit, the police were immediately there to help them. They want the police. They like when the police give them what they want. They just don't want policing to negatively impact them. They want to be the police. They want the power. I think community policing means just this. Especially in places like Minneapolis, you might actually see very religious groups going around doing their community policing. And we've actually had the rise of many groups in New York that are, you know, cultural police, essentially neighborhood watch. They're not the same as in, you know, they, they, you know, carry guns like cops or anything, but they've formed in response to culture clashes. And I mean, literal violence. You know, the Jewish community has, I, uh, I forgot what it's called. The, the, the organization, but they have vehicles. They have, it's like a, it's like a neighborhood watch for their community. Why? Well, they were being attacked and the police weren't protecting them. So they created their own community group. There's, there's some potential good things about community policing for sure. The general idea being, you know, w over at this gym near me where the officers actually arrested the gym owners, they had to bring in cops from other communities because the local cops were like, I'm not going in there and arresting. Them. I don't want to be a pariah where I live. I'll have to leave. They'll, they'll, they'll kick me out. They'll come. They'll, they'll, they'll never, you know, they'll never look me in the eyes again. So what did they do? They asked other people who don't leave her to come in and do it. And that's a problem. It's good that locals say I am accountable to my community and I won't cross that line. That idea, I think, is fine. But think about it. That's exactly what we have. The police department near me is super close. They're not going to cross the line and violate someone's constitutional rights. They're going to be like, I'll never go to the pizza joint again. They'll never sell me pizza. They're going to be like, dude, you're, 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 you're a jerk. So they bring in other people. I can respect that. But what we have here with these groups of people disarming police, with these people romping about in their universities, these are people who literally go to other people's neighborhoods to riot. We saw it in Chicago. Black Lives Matter entered a neighborhood. They got chased out. We saw it in Fort Collins. You enter a neighborhood, they got chased out. But in many, many areas, 
at the peak of the June riots in early June, outside groups went into other people's neighborhoods and demanded obedience. They rioted. They've done it in other cities. They show up randomly. They don't even live there. And they demand these jurisdictions give them the right to do whatever they want. Local communities aren't having it. And most of these communities are kind of, you know, just regular people living their lives. That's why police are supposed to be impartial and accountable to your community. You go to your meetings, you, you vote. These people won't be because they're a part of a fringe cult, whatever. They've got crazy hair and baseball bats and the cops are releasing them. So here's the, here's the big picture. Police will disarm deputies. Okay, it's coming. They're going to disarm their deputies. The deputies won't be able to protect themselves or fight back. The next thing they'll do is if you can't defund the police, you demoralize them until they quit. And it's been happening. Cops are quitting. So what comes next for your neighborhood? Minneapolis disbanded their police. Seattle's lightly defunded their police. Police chief resigned. And about 129 uh, departments have faced some kind of defunding. What comes next? Your community groups with baseball bats. They'll march to the streets and tell you what is right and what is wrong, regardless of the law. The law is what they think it is. And who's going to stop them? You got no police. They're defunded and the cops aren't going to want to deal with the mob. They'll say, hey, man, what do you want us to do? What, what should we do about it? So I, 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 I don't know. I know. I'd say we talk about this a lot. So it is what it is, I guess. I'll follow the news and uh, I'll bring it to you. Stick around. Next segment's coming up tomorrow at 10 a.m. on this channel. And I will see you all next time.